Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the extraordinary story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode The Golden Age of Broadway Part 2. The Golden Age's revolutionary new way of writing musicals did not just apply to musical plays like those of Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe, it also transformed the musical comedy. These shows, too, would now have to have well-structured plots and three-dimensional, captivating characters. As you may remember from our profile of lyricist and book writer Dorothy Fields in a previous episode, it was her idea to create a musical comedy based on the life of sharpshooter Annie Oakley as a vehicle for her friend Ethel Merman. The plan was to have her brother Herbert as her co-writer on the book, and the music would be composed by Jerome Kern. But when Kern unexpectedly died, the producers, who were Rodgers and Hammerstein, suggested bringing Irving Berlin out of semi-retirement to write the score. We need to keep in mind that Irving Berlin was then in his 50s, and 35 years after his Broadway debut, he was reluctant and probably frightened to try his hand at this new format that Rodgers and Hammerstein had created, a format that Berlin called a situation show. He told them that he didn't know how to write songs for a story, and he wasn't sure he wanted to try. But Rodgers and Hammerstein convinced him that it was actually easier to write this new way, and Berlin finally agreed to give it at least a try. He took home an early draft of Herbert and Dorothy Field's book and came back just a few days later with three soon-to-be classic songs that were both wonderfully entertaining and expertly integrated into the story and characters. They were Doing What Comes Naturally, There's No Business Like Show Business, and You Can't Get a Man with a Gun. I'm quick on the trigger with targets not much bigger than a pinpoint. I'm number one. But my score with a feller is lower than a cellar. Oh, you can't get a man with a gun. The gals with umbrellas are always out with fellers in the rain or the blazing sun. But a man never trifles with gals who carry rifles. Oh, you can't get a man with a gun. With a gun, with a gun. Directed by Joshua Logan, with choreography by Helen Tamiris, the original production of Annie Get Your Gun would run over 1,000 performances and demonstrate exactly how musical comedies needed to be crafted in this new era. But he can't build your houses with buckshot in his trousers for a man maybe hot, but he's not. Another leading songwriter of the Silver Age would provide a second shining example of how to accomplish this task. And his comeback was perhaps even more unlikely than Irving Berlin's. In 1937, at the height of Cole Porter's Silver Age success, tragedy struck. He was out riding at a Long Island country club when his horse fell and rolled over on top of him, crushing both of his legs. 
Unable to face amputation, he would live the rest of his life seriously disabled and in constant, sometimes unbearable pain. He continued to write, but by the early 1940s, the spark seemed to have gone out of his work. Cole Porter was still a name brand, and producers continued to seek him out, but during the war years, his songs and shows showed a sharp falling off in wit and inspiration, as if he had dumbed down his sophisticated style to better fit into this series of girls and gag shows aimed at the World War II servicemen who thronged New York City during the war. Meanwhile, down the street, Rodgers and Hammerstein were redefining the musical. Two outright flops nearly ended Porter's career entirely. By 1948, he was in deep depression, feeling washed up and uninspired. Then the phone rang. A not very famous producer wanted him to write the score for a musical based in part on a play by Shakespeare. This didn't seem like a viable idea to Cole, but no one else was calling, and he was hungry for a project. So he said yes, and it was the best decision of his life. Kiss Me Kate's producer was a gay man named Saint Suber and the musical that he envisioned would be a knockabout comedy that was also sophisticated and sexy, and with an undertone of deep feeling. At first, Cole was frightened. Could he adapt to this new style, he wondered? And yet the show seemed designed with him in mind. It would take place in a world Porter knew well, a backstage comedy of putting on a Broadway show with high stakes for all concerned. Another opening, another show, in Philly, Boston, or Baltimore. Kiss Me Kate opened on Broadway in 1948 and quickly became the smash hit Cole Porter needed to reboot his career. Kate's choreography was by Hanya Holm, and the show had a very queer creative team. Porter, of course, director John Wilson, who had been both a business and life partner of Noel Coward, and the producer Saint Suber. 1949 was the inaugural year of the Tony Awards, and Kiss Me Kate won five. Best Musical, Best Book for Bella and Sam Spiewak, and Cole Porter received the first Tony ever for Best Score. This show also played more than 1,000 performances, making it Cole Porter's longest-running and most popular musical. These two shows inspired a new generation of writers, directors, choreographers, and producers who over the next several decades would create a steady stream of finely crafted, golden age style musical comedies. Composer Julie Stein was born Julius Kerwin Stein in 1905 in the immigrant slums of London's East End, where his Russian Jewish parents had emigrated from the Ukraine. When he was only three years old, his parents took him to see a performance by the British music hall star Harry Lauder, and little Julius created a sensation when he jumped up onto the stage and began singing along in the middle of a song. Following the performance, Lauder recommended that this clearly talented kid be given piano lessons. Julie's parents couldn't afford to buy a piano, but they were able to arrange for lessons and practice on a rented piano. In 1912, at the age of eight, Julie moved with his family to Chicago, where he soon enrolled in the Chicago College of Music. By the age of 10, he was winning piano competitions and had already performed with the Chicago, St. Louis, and Detroit Symphony Orchestras. At 16, he joined the Musicians' Union and started playing with various dance bands and in the pit at the Haymarket Burlesque Theater in Chicago, an experience that would later contribute greatly to his Broadway career. His songwriting career began in Hollywood, where he wrote hundreds of songs for all kinds of movies. 
During the 1940s and 50s, dozens of his songs became big, chart-topping hits. However, like most composers of the era, he considered Broadway to be the pinnacle of achievement for a songwriter. But it was not until 1947 that he composed the score for his first Broadway musical, High Button Shoes, with lyrics by his main Hollywood collaborator, Sammy Kahn. I still get jealous when they look at Remember you. the time you winked at a guy and I got a punch in the eye? I may not show it, but I do. Why can't you flirt with the guys that are small instead of the guys that are tall? It's more than I when they start to stare oh, my bride Guess they think you're too good to be The fellow that marries the homelier kind settles for peace of mind This musical was a vehicle for comedy star Phil Silvers and became a substantial hit running two and a half years. Over the next several decades, he would team with various lyricists, including Leo Robin, Comden and Green, Bob Merrill, and Stephen Sondheim, on 21 Broadway musicals, including Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Peter Pan, Bells Are Ringing, Gypsy, and Funny Girl. And in the process, he would create show-stopping songs and career-defining roles for Broadway's biggest female stars, Carol Channing, Mary Martin, Judy Holliday, Ethel Merman, and Barbara Streisand. He also became an important Broadway producer. As a songwriter, he had a genius for melody, and over his nearly 75-year career, he wrote 2,000 songs, of which an incredible 200 of them became substantial hits. He often said, In Hollywood, you're just a songwriter, but in New York, you're a composer. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break, and we will turn our attention to the genius of Frank Lesser. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out 
for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com slash BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50 as in Broadway Nation. BN50 at factormeals.com slash BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now! Composer and lyricist Frank Lesser was born in New York City in 1910. He never studied music formally, although while growing up he was surrounded by music. His parents had both come from the German state of Prussia in the 1880s. Both were Jewish, but not religious in any way. They were a middle-class family, but with very highbrow and intellectual tastes. His father, Henry, was a teacher of classical piano, and his older brother, Arthur, became a child piano prodigy and later a renowned concert pianist and music critic. But Frank was a rebel from the very beginning. He refused to speak German, which was the family's language at home, and he refused to study classical music. He was interested in pop music, which his father and brother disdained. Frank taught himself to play the harmonica and the piano while in his early teens, and he styled himself after the Lower East Side Jewish songwriters that flourished on Tin Pan Alley. He cultivated a brassy New York accent sprinkled with Yiddish flavor and expressions. He attended New York City College but had to drop out when his father died suddenly. He had always loved wordplay and began to write lyrics, sketches, and radio scripts. By the mid-1930s, he began singing and playing piano in nightclubs and contributed five songs to the Broadway review The Illustrator Show. The show was a quick flop, but that led to Frank finding work in Hollywood, primarily under contract with Paramount Studios. During this period, he would write songs for 60 films— at first working as just a lyricist in collaboration with many other composers, including Julie Stein, and then later he often wrote both the words and the music. After serving in World War II, he returned to Hollywood for a while until the young Broadway producing team of Cy Fuhrer and Ernest Martin convinced him to come to New York to write the score for the 1948 musical Where's Charlie, based on the popular farce Charlie's Aunt. The show starring Ray Bolger was a smash hit, and it proved that Lesser was also more than just a Hollywood pop tune songwriter. He would only write four major Broadway shows, Where's Charlie, Guys and Dolls, The Most Happy Fella, and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. But the brilliant craft, great variety, and theatrical genius of these shows would thrust him forever into the top tier of Broadway creators. Look, let a gentleman see how nice a dame you can be. I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with. Look, be a lady with me. A lady wouldn't flirt with strangers. She'd have a heart. She'd have a soul. A lady wouldn't make little snake eyes at me when I bet my life on this road. So let's keep the party polite. Never get out of my sight. Stick with me, baby. I'm the fellow you came in with. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady. Like Rodgers and Hammerstein, he established his own publishing company and began producing other writers' Broadway shows, as well as developing talent. 
two of his discoveries were the songwriting team of Adler and Ross. Richard Adler was born in New York City. His father had also been a renowned pianist and music teacher whose students had included Aaron Copland, one of America's great classical composers. Adler graduated from the University of North Carolina and served in the Navy during World War II. After the war, he teamed up with Jerry Ross. Jerry Ross was born in the Bronx to Russian-Jewish immigrant parents. During his childhood, he was a professional actor and singer in Yiddish theater productions on the Lower East Side. He attended New York University but dropped out to pursue songwriting. Soon after Adler and Ross joined forces in 1950, they came to the attention of Frank Lesser and became his protégés. During this time, they produced several hit pop songs, including a number one song for Tony Bennett called Rags to Riches. Their first Broadway score was for a review called John Murray Anderson's Almanac in 1953, and several of their songs from this show were recorded and also became pop hits. Based on this, Lesser decided they were ready for a full book musical of their own. The show was The Pajama Game, and it would introduce them and Bob Fosse as significant new voices on Broadway. It was directed by George Abbott, who also wrote the book, and it was adapted from a best-selling novel about a strike in a pajama factory. The original Broadway production ran over a thousand performances and won the Tony Award for Best Musical. And the show's hit song, Hey There, was recorded by Rosemary Clooney and became the number one song of 1954. Hey there, you with the stars in your eyes Love never made a fool of you You used to be Their second show was just a year later and was an even bigger hit, Damn Yankees. Also based on a comic novel, the story was about a middle-aged baseball fan who sells his soul to the devil so that he can be transformed into a young slugger who can lead his losing team to win the pennant. Now listen to me, you guys. This game of baseball is only one half skill. The other half is something else, something bigger. You gotta have Heart, all you really need is heart. When the odds are saying you'll never win, that's when the grin should start. You gotta have hope, mustn't sit around and hope. Nothing's half as bad as it may appear. Wait till next year and hope. Again, it had book and direction by George Abbott and was choreographed by Bob Fosse, and it made a giant star out of Gwen Verdon. Gwen Verdon played the devil's best temptress and homewrecker, Lola. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. And little man, little Lola wants you. Make up your mind to have no regrets. Recline yourself, resign yourself, you're through. Again, the show ran more than a thousand performances and won the Tony Award for Best Musical. Unfortunately, this was the last show by this talented team. Jerry Ross died in 1955 at the age of 29 from complications related to lung disease. 
Richard Adler would continue to write songs and shows with other collaborators, but was never able to create another big hit. Bob Fosse was born in Chicago. His mother had emigrated from Ireland, and his father was Norwegian-American. He started performing professionally in his early teens, tap dancing in nightclubs and burlesque theaters, whose main attractions by now were strip tease acts. He served in World War II and then moved to New York with the intention of being the new Fred Astaire. He danced in several Broadway musicals and on early TV variety shows and then got a contract with MGM and Hollywood. He played small dancing parts in several films, but then a role as one of the suitors in the 1953 film version of Kiss Me Kate changed his life. The choreographer for the film was Hermes Pan, but Fosse was given permission to choreograph his own short duet with dancer Carol Haney. It was one section of a larger dance sequence, but it was a standout moment in the film, and it put Fosse on the map as a promising choreographer with his own distinct style. The following year, he was hired to choreograph The Pajama Game, and that show's standout dance, Steam Heat, established much of what would come to be known as the Fosse style. He would go on to choreograph 12 Broadway musicals, six of which he also directed, and for which he would receive nine Tony Awards. In 1973, he became the only person to win a Tony, an Emmy, and an Academy Award all in the same year. These were won for his direction of the movie Cabaret, the Broadway musical Pippin, and the TV special Liza with a Z. If they could see me now, that little gang of mine. I'm eating fancy chow and drinking fancy wine. I'd like those stumbo bums to see for a fact the kind of top drawer, first rate chums I attract. When Verdon was born in 1925 in Culver City, California, the Verdon family could be described as show people. Her father was an electrician at MGM Studios, and her mother, who was a dance teacher, had previously danced in vaudeville and with the Denishon dance troupe. As a toddler, Verdon had rickets, which is a soft bone condition, which left her legs so badly misshapen that she was called gimpy by other children and spent her early years wearing rigid leg braces. Her mother put her three-year-old daughter into dance classes, which strengthened Gwen's legs. By the time she was 11, she was already dancing on stage and in the movies. Early on, Verdon found a job as assistant to choreographer Jack Cole, during this five-year employment with Cole, she took small roles in movie musicals as a specialty dancer and coached and trained movie stars to dance Cole's choreography, including Marilyn Monroe. After moving to New York, Verdon danced in the choruses of several Broadway shows. Then her breakout role came when choreographer Michael Kidd cast her as the second female lead in Cole Porter's musical Can-Can in 1953. Gwen Verdon had proven to be such a hit during the out-of-town tryout of the show that its star, French actress Lilo, insisted that Verdon's part be cut down to just two numbers. In spite of her role being so diminished, Verdon still became a sensation, stopping the show cold on opening night in New York and winning a Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Musical. She would go on to star in six Broadway musicals, most of them written especially for her, including Damn Yankees, Sweet Charity, and Chicago, and she received four Tony Awards. All I can say is, wow, we look at where I am. Tonight I landed, pow, right in a pot of jam. What a setup, holy cow. They'd never believe it if my friends could see me now. 
Jerome Robbins was born in New York City in 1918. His parents were Jews that had emigrated from Poland in 1904. Young Jerome showed an early aptitude for dance, music, and theatrics. He attended New York University, intending to study either chemistry or journalism, but had to drop out during the Depression because his family could no longer afford the tuition. Unwilling to work in his family's corset factory, he decided to try to find work in show business, inspired by his sister, who was already a professional dancer. In his early teens, he danced and performed with ballet troupes, Yiddish theater productions, and in the chorus of several Broadway musicals. Then he was invited to join what would become American Ballet Theater, where he danced roles in works by Agnes DeMille and the company's founder, George Balanchine. He was eager to choreograph his own work for ABT and came up with the idea for the ballet Fancy Free. The success of this short ballet led quickly to it being expanded into the hit musical On the Town, both with music by Leonard Bernstein. Robbins would go on to choreograph and often direct 18 Broadway musicals, including High Button Shoes, West Side Story, The King and I, Gypsy, Peter Pan, Call Me Madam, and Fiddler on the Roof, for which he received five Tony Awards. After Fiddler, Robbins stopped working on Broadway and devoted himself to the New York City Ballet, where he had been appointed Associate Artistic Director. He created 60 ballets for ABT, New York City Ballet, and other dance companies that are still performed around the world. His personal life was extremely controversial. In 1953, during the McCarthy era, he stunned the theatrical community by agreeing to appear before the House Un-American Activities Committee, where he admitted to having been a member of the Communist Party and named eight individuals who he said had also been members. It has since been revealed that the committee was threatening to publicly reveal Robbins's homosexuality if he did not agree to testify and name names. Robbins was terrified that this would ruin his career. He would later work with some of the actors who were blacklisted as a result of this communist witch hunt. Robbins also acquired a legendary reputation for being an unrelenting perfectionist and taskmaster. However, in spite of this often cruel behavior, he elicited tremendous loyalty and admiration from those who worked with him. Choreographer Michael Kidd was born Michael Greenwald in 1915 in Brooklyn. Both of his parents were Russian Jewish immigrants. While still in high school, he attended a modern dance performance and became immediately hooked. He attended City College in New York, intending to become a chemical engineer, but in 1937, he received a scholarship to the School of American Ballet. Soon he became a member of a company called Ballet Caravan and toured the country dancing many roles, including the lead in Billy the Kid. From 1942 to 1947, he was a soloist for what is now called American Ballet Theater. While there, he was given the opportunity to choreograph his own ballet called On Stage. His first Broadway show as choreographer was Finian's Rainbow, and this led to 17 more Broadway musicals. He received Tony Awards for five of them, including Finian's Rainbow, Guys and Dolls, Can Can, Little Abner, and Destry Rides Again. Michael Kidd also had great success in Hollywood, where he choreographed the now-classic movie musicals Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and The Bandwagon. Kidd said that his primary focus for any dance number was on the characters and the story. He said, I always write a scenario first, even if it is a scenario for an emotion. 
The 1950s on Broadway would culminate in four legendary shows that would go head-to-head. In 1957, it was West Side Story and The Music Man, and in 1959, it was Gypsy and The Sound of Music. Together, these four shows exemplify the Golden Age musical comedy and musical play at their zenith. We will explore these four musicals in vibrant detail in an upcoming episode of Broadway Nation. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong, with additional writing help from Albert Evans. If you enjoy Broadway Nation, I hope that you will help me spread the word. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And of course, as always, I want to thank everyone at KVSH 101.9 FM, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and everyone at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.